0: The 2022 World Cup came back for day three and the first of many editions of four football games in a single day. And we had it bookended by a shock for Saudi Arabia and a masterclass from the defending champions France. In between we were suffering through two goalless draws but four pretty good football matches all in all. Today we're going to cover them all for you, let us get stuck straight in. And just a wee reminder that it's not just the World Cup Daily podcast what we are broadcasting each and every single day throughout this tournament. Yes, we'll be here 5am every day on the Sports Social Podcast Network, YouTube as well, and anywhere you get your podcast. But we're on Patreon every day. We have another great game from the history of the World Cup. We've got Football Manager challenges. we've got Combined 11 and Predictors on YouTube Shorts, and we also have, of course, alternate football histories with our what-if videos on the channel Let's sweep that all to one side because we've got to talk about one of the World Cup's greatest shocks. If not, and I don't know if it's hyperbole to discuss it in these terms so fresh off the event, the biggest World Cup shock. Argentina, if they navigated this group stage undefeated, they would have broken a world record for international unbeaten dominance. Saudi Arabia were one of the worst ranked teams in the World Cup this year. They have won one World Cup game in 28 years and even that was a dead rubber. So this was only going to go one way. (laughs) It didn't. In terms of the starting lineups and walking into it, the only real points up for grabs, points of contention for the Argentine 11 was taken by Nicolas Taglifico ahead of uh, Marcos Acuna and uh, Papu Gomez at central midfield ahead of uh, Alexis McAllister and the likes of Enzo Fernandez as well. Aldoussari made it for the uh, Saudis in good time, said to be one of their only hopes and... Uh, not just his only hope, as we uh, discovered yesterday afternoon. Um, I got to say, this was the first first game played at the uh, the Lucille iconic stadium, is what it is called. Uh, first atmosphere that felt like a football match, really, and that is primarily due to the the Argentines' pilgrimage to this. Do this ground and, of course, local support from uh, Saudi Arabians as well. So two massive supports in any in any ground. This would have been all a uh, partisan atmosphere, but it uh, fit quite well in the uh, the final venue's first game, which um, apparently was eight thousand over capacity, which is um, some achievement, isn't it? Really. Anyway, let's we. we we're probably going to start with an argentina steamroller in 5-0 6-0 those were the uh, those were the headlines those were the predictions it's only saudi arabia they probably said uh, well saudi arabia they adopted what was a a narrow 4-2-3-1 4-3-3 they were fairly very compact in that first half The takeaway, the main takeaway, it has to be said, is that ludicrously high defensive line from Saudi Arabia. It looked suicidal as you started watching the contest. But as you go through the game, Argentina very rarely sniffed out any chances. Yes, Saudi Arabia had a three-month camp. They should be well drilled. We said that about Qatar. They had twice as long. And they weren't well drilled, were they? Against um, Saudi Arabia here, against much tougher opposition than Ecuador. And that high line caught Argentina off three times in 12 minutes. Messi scored a goal. It was chalked off thanks to offside. Lazaro Martinez found two goals, two perfectly good finishes as well. Absolutely brilliant finishes. But they counted for nothing. In a game where Argentina could have led 4-0 inside 35 minutes, um they were only taking a 1-0 lead into the uh into the second half um, regardless saudi arabia they did look to they did press quite quite um vociferously in the first few minutes that's that's to be uh, understood they did flood forward in numbers though throughout the game they did look to play football it wasn't just hit and hope yes certainly by the time you get to 20 minutes to go and the the defensive line drops deeper and deeper and deeper but that is—it's only natural. You're an underdog. You're protecting a lead against, well, a team that if if people aren't predicting uh, Brazil to win, they're predicting Argentina to win this tournament. And well, well, it all came uh, crashing down. Really, and in fairness, this is. Likely the best Saudi Arabian team that I've personally seen. Um, They, of course, got to the last 16 in 1994. I wasn't around then um, in terms of watching it. Um, But, uh, well, it was just an absolute defensive masterclass. One of the all-time great World Cup defensive displays. Yes, the offside trap will be the headline maker. But for me, Hassan Al-Tambakti's... Well, his presence in the defensive line for Saudi Arabia was second to none, easily, easily man of the match. Yes, you can say it's it's only Saudi Arabia, and yes, you can say that um, Argentina fluffed the lines on numerous occasions, but his challenge on Lionel Messi at 2-1, it was around an hour into the game, so just after the two goals for Saudi Arabia, it would have been fairly easy for, well, the greatest player ever to have lived to just shuffle another way, curl it in, which... Would have been the outcome. He was 12 yards from goal, only the goalkeeper to beat. It would have been a goal. Sure fire. And then Saudi Arabia would have likely crumbled. But that defensive challenge, that one defensive challenge, and there was a whole litany of them by both of the centre-halves, by all of them, come the end of it. Clearances everywhere. And yes, one of the greatest defensive displays I've certainly remembered in World Cup history there was supposed to be no comparison. There was supposed to be no real threat to Argentina. And yes, they're not going to tot up dozens of shots, but in front of goal, absolutely clinical. Their break came uh, going forward when Al Shareri found a way through the uh, the left half space, fired it through Christian Romero, who was just that bit slower to get to the ball and into the corner, Desperately beyond the uh, the reach of Emmy Martinez. That was the first shot, first goal. Second shot resulted in the second goal. Of course, Aldasari, a player who has spent a couple of uh, years in uh, La Liga with Villarreal, uh, most recently, he came alive. And what a wonderful curling goal! Perhaps one of the uh, the better goals that we've seen. All tournaments so far, Amy Martin Martinez got a big paw on it, wasn't enough and then of course, with those two uh, shots across the bow, Saudi Arabia sunk in for the long game and yes, there was a lot of time wasting, can you blame them? Absolutely not. Uh, FIFA's directive continues, it was 8 minutes added on, it obviously then went to 13 with the horrific... Horrific injury to the defender with a big knee to his face from his own goalkeeper scenes of um, the Iran game there. And uh, thankfully, uh, the Saudi medical team were reticent enough to uh, to to take him off, really. Um, in terms of Argentina, well, the build-up, it appeared to be a 4-0-6 initially. Um, Argentina flooded forward in the first 10 minutes, obviously got the goal from uh, what was a penalty set-piece generated that one. Um, It did settle into more of a 4-2-4. You'd have Angel Di Maria pushing right the way up on the right-hand side. He's one of the true shining lights um, going forward, but it was mainly De Paul and Paredes in that middle of the pitch push right the way forward. You've essentially got four attackers, Messi and Lautaro Martinez um, certainly uh, centrally. Um, We saw England's brilliant use of the flanks yesterday and um, subsequent arguments that it was only a run argentina really should have looked to have done the same and it, they just didn't and even in the rare chances that they did do through wide play which was largely through angel di maria largely in the second half nobody was running on to it Latao martinez who was so clinical unfortunately offside but clinical in the first half wasn't making the perfect runs for those brilliant outside of the boot passes by Angel Di Maria. And we all know he he likes to he likes to do that. So why would they not gamble enough? There wasn't enough men in the box for um, for Argentina. And that was the only way they were going to get back into the game. That or a bit of messy masterclass, but if it wasn't the the Saudi defensive line holding strong, it was aimless free kicks, and to be fair, a fair few aimless passes from uh, from the great man, unfortunately. Um, Ten minutes into the game, it seemed done and dusted already. The Argentina, um, fortunate as England weren't yesterday, with uh, earning a penalty via a rugby tackle in the box, um, and it was a penalty, despite what Roy Keane said in a bit of a... Uh, punditry fight at halftime, I guess what you'd call it. Um, Regardless, um, Messi strokes the the ball home, as you would expect. Um, But even throughout that first half, there was a niggling feeling in and amongst the litany of offsides. um, uh, And to be fair, most of those came from central areas, the the couple of passes and in play there. Really, what Argentina struggled to do was get wide and get high. And they just, there was no upwards mobility from the full backs. They just didn't threaten Saudi Arabia as you would expect because if they would have pinned back the uh, the two wide men in Saudi Arabia's 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 whichever you want to call it um they would have been far less far less dangerous on the counter which we which we they proved in the second half and um, that defensive line would have sunk naturally because that's what it just it just would have done Saudi Arabia, they were they were terrified of the crosses in the first half, the set pieces. Um, but that's once that settled in, and they realised that Argentina weren't too much of a threat. The final third balls from in 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 play were shoddy, apart from the couple of chances that Di Maria handed on a silver platter. Um, and it really, from Argentina, it seemed as though. They were only on one track. It was a big failure to adapt. And um, they did look, as we got into the second half, a little bit more dangerous from set pieces. Julian Alvarez had a decent header. Lionel Messi, too, as the match wore on. But really, Saudi Arabia deserved to win to one And um, Argentina, the last time they lost their opener, a little bit of glint of hope for uh, Any Argentinian fans, last time they lost the opener, 1990 against Cameroon, where they, of course, got to the final. And if they're to do so now, maybe they might um, wind up in the other half of the draw, might maybe wind up in the same half of the draw as England. But, of course, the remainder of of Group Z's action is yet to unfurl. And if there's any shocks elsewhere in this group, well completely up for grabs. Argentina, they were only just scraping by under Jorge Sampaoli in 2018 in the last few minutes to get into the knockout phase. Could we see something similar to 2002 here? Well, this was supposed to be their weakest opponent yet in this group. They've got Mexico to come and got Poland to come as well. So, backs against the wall for La Scalaneta, Leno Scalone. In the, uh, in the dugout for Argentina and really it shouldn't be the end of the road for Argentina really. They've still got two chances, two bites at the cherry in order to qualify but for Saudi Arabia what an incredible result. Perhaps the best in their history in terms of Herve Renard. Now I'm not going to devalue the AFCON by saying this trumps that when he won two with Zambia and Ivory Coast. But what an incredible, what an incredible result against the team up for the longest international team, unbeaten running men's football. And if you strip away Saudi Arabia, if you strip away sports Washington, and boil it down to around 50 or 60 or so men on the pitch, on the sidelines, in Saudi Arabian colours, it was quite a, a powerful performance, a really goosebump inducing win against one of, well, the The two landmark favourites for this trophy um, will go down in history forevermore. It is only Saudi Arabia's fourth win in the tournament's history. Two of those came in 1994's immaculate run to the last 16 when they beat Morocco and Belgium. As we mentioned earlier, the last one was four years ago in a dead rubber against Egypt. So without a shadow of a doubt, the best moment Saudi Arabia have um, had in World Cup history. Now they won't have to talk about Al Oweyeren's goal against Belgium in 1994. They've got an even bigger, an even bigger moment in this illustrious win. Uh, The first shock of the World Cup so far. And um, it played greatly into the following fixture where we hopped over to Group D, where Denmark met Tunisia. And after this short break, we'll be discussing everything about that contest welcome back and our second game on day three of the championships came in education city and i think that tunisia gave us all a little bit of an education about what they're all about and perhaps some of us who were uh, Underappreciating them, me certainly included. I called them the weakest African team at this tournament. Um, certainly in our words, now, whilst not on the same shock value, shock levelers, Saudi Arabia's win earlier on in the day against Argentina, uh, still weird to say, uh, Tunisia ground out an incredible 0-0 draw against Denmark. Denmark, the team who were... Uh, last involved in a goalless draw in the World Cup, and that was in 2018's tournament. The only nil-nil of last year, of last World Cup, anyway. Tunisia, they were missing their talisman Wabi Kazri and the likes of Anis ben Slomani mean a lot more to him than others. He was born in Denmark, still plays his football in Denmark too. Meanwhile, the left-wing berth, which was very much up for grabs in Danish ranks, went to Andreas Sköv Olsen. And Denmark, uh, as expected, lined up in a back three with uh, Christian Eriksen off of the left to begin with. Of so, of course, licensed to drift in because of Joachim Myler. And Skurv Olsen um, started exactly similar on the right as uh, Christensen, Rasmus Christensen of Leeds, of course. Um, both full backs, wing backs. ...bombed on to ostensibly make a 3-4-2-1 shape and really Denmark were stunned by the opening of of this contest. Tunisia with a ravenous support, an absolutely enormous Tunisian following and um, the African nation completely buoyed by the crowd and uh, continued to press. They were incredible as a collective and um, almost bamboozled Kasper Schmeichel with a deflected chance in the first quarter of an hour. And, uh, of course, Tunisia, they've got vast, vast experience, a lot more experience at this stadium, in this country, than Denmark. They competed in the Arab Cup last year and played in the exact same stadium as they did yesterday in a quarterfinal win over Oman and finished second in that tournament. And, to be fair, Tunisia looked right at home. Meanwhile, Denmark... They did get to get on the ball a bit more as the first half war. On the second half, they were more so in control, certainly than the first. Uh, but not really enough of an influence in open play. Ericsson was mainly reduced to being a weapon from set pieces. Um, he would revert to central midfield with Thomas Delaney's injury as Mikkel Damsgaard came on to uh, fulfil Ericsson's Position on the left, and with Eriksen in what is usually his position is, uh, as a midfielder at Manchester United, I think it gave Denmark a bigger measure of control. Regardless of what was an under-par performance, a bit like with the Dutch against Senegal the previous day, Denmark remained calm under what was severe pressure from the opponents and from the crowd. Let's be fair, it was almost an away game. Here in Qatar. Um, as I mentioned, they did get, they managed to get a lot more possession as the match wore on, but ultimately, up until probably the fourth quarter of the game, if you want to call it that, the latter stages of the game, Tunisians largely had the better chances, really. They found the net. Um, that was a judge to be offside, though, and quite rightly. And, uh, Jabali's chip that Kasvish uh, Michael was equal to um, was probably the closest that, that uh, Tunisia came. To be fair, they had a number of chances. Uh, the uh, the fullback for Tunisia absolutely blasted a shot just narrowly wide, and he was the main instigator for whipping up the crowd, as it seemed, earlier on but all over the pitch Tunisia held firm they were a collective they were hard to break down hard to build up against certainly in the first half and uh, continued to remain a bit of a threat on the counter in the second when Denmark remained um, or oh, drifted off into a 4-3-3 with Simon Kerr coming off for uh, Matthias Jensen who moved to left back Joachim Milo moved up to left wing but Tunisia they remained in their 3-5-2, 5-3-2 shape and really outside of an Andreas Cornelius miss of the World Cup so far when he headed against the post from about four centimetres out. Tunisia didn't really sweat this. Just, well, Saudi Arabia certainly did earlier on, but Denmark didn't bring too much to the table in terms of attacking output and chances, really. They had... Christian Eriksen bent one from distance, but I'd had, always had a feeling that the keeper was going to be equal to it. Uh, Mikkel Damsgaard proved a little bit uh, exciting, a bit more something better moving on. Maybe that was perhaps due to uh, Tunisian slightly wilting in the second half. And um, as we move into a 4-3-3 Denmark, Christian Eriksen moved further upfield and he was able to... Uh, pick out a few faces off from open play I have that chance that I mentioned um, but it wasn't to be for Denmark and Tunisia just about survived a VAR call that dragged the referee to the screen and for the first time in this championships at least the referee didn't go with the VAR decision and um, to be fair Tunisia had a similar call I felt the Denmark one was probably stronger considering where it was on the pitch and how it came to be I don't think either were penalties so it's probably been correct from the referees in both instances. And to be fair, neither side really deserved the win. And if you're going to give the side a win, if you've been charitable, probably Tunisia. Again, it's like America, you were, uh, America and Wales from the previous day. America had the better of the first half, Tunisia had the better of the first half here, and then the tables turned, as you would expect, really, especially from this game. And in terms of Denmark's chances... I don't think it changes them all too much. Yes, a disappointing way to kick off the World Cup, but defensively, still very good. They didn't really look rattled. Tunisia got behind them once, maybe twice. But the high defensive line, I mean, that Jabali chip, that would have been ruled offside. That's for certain. Um, up top, they suffer from the same as they uh, tend to do. They were a little bit blunt. Kasper Dahlberg didn't have the best game. Andreas Cornelius was playing the Kiefer Mall role as the game moved on, as they looked for something a little bit different. They did change their uh, tact a number of times, couldn't find any way through the Tunisians, but that might just be how uh, the game was always going to go. And I don't think it harms their chances of going top. I still think they've got an incredibly good chance to beat France. It'll be an incredibly different uh, occasion compared to uh, yesterday's game, so to Australia as well. They won't have the same fan support. They won't be as strong defensively. in Tunisia here... What's to stop them now going on to qualify, really? Um, Australia, you'd fancy them against Australia now off the back of this performance. And France, they could easily cause them problems or just grind them down into a similar um, stoic, obdurate performance at the back. Certainly much better than what we expected. And after that, it came the showdown from Group C, something that I said uh, would decide the whole course of group c mexico versus poland a little less importance was laid on it after earlier on in the day but we will talk about that in great detail after this short break and as we go to match three of the third day of the 2022 fifa world cup and in that contest between mexico and poland we had perhaps The douriest contest of the entire tournament thus far. In terms of the starting lineups between the two nations deemed, potentially, second and third favourite to get out of this group, we had no surprises. Wonder Kids, either side of the board in Alexis Vega and Zalewski played, Meanwhile, the stalwarts in Krakowiak and Edson Alvarez in midfield all made it. No real injuries for either team, if you uh, don't count Raul Jimenez, who um, maybe for a lack of form, maybe for a lack of fitness too, he started from the bench, did come on, um, but perhaps too little, too late to rescue three points here. And um, in terms of this, after this morning's news, it came as uh, a, a... grateful opportunity for either team to share the spoils at the top of Group C with (laughs) surprise runaway leaders, Saudi Arabia and uh, Mexico started off things in what was a bit of a horseshoe formation Poland playing a 3-5-2 with three men in midfield Mexico going to uh, stretch their out central midfielders wide, their fullbacks bombing all the way up which was some risk but to be fair, Poland sat in a mid or low block the entire game. The fullbacks didn't necessarily go forward. Um, Zalewski was um, sometimes playing left wing, sometimes playing left wing back. And uh, Bartosz Berezenski was uh, sometimes shifting onto the left. So it was kind of a hybrid role for uh, for him, for for both of them really, for Poland. The build-up did appear to be four at the back, but certainly when they were in... uh, their mid-block, it was certainly five at the back. Um, they mainly did this to to match Mexico all over the pitch. Um, Zimanski would um, cover it right back as well in transitional scenarios. But in the first half, at least, um, very similar method from both teams. Mid-block, press, Poland more so looked to counter. Mexico more so wanted the uh, possession. But in possession, it looks as though neither team wanted it, In br- to be brutally honest. Both teams incredibly sloppy with the ball, not so imaginative. Poland really didn't want to play football. They wanted to uh, perhaps get a sneaky win on the counter or a set piece or perhaps a penalty as we'll get onto later on. Mexico just simply didn't have the cutting edge to uh, break down the polish wall that were in front of them easily the brightest players for mexico were um, alexis vega and hervin lozano vega came closest in the opening half hour perhaps even the game as his header looped wide of the mark never really troubling wocek szesny there but uh mexico's attacks were infinitely better down the right jorge sanchez would uh, get involved hervin lozano as well i felt that lozano was uh, much more dangerous when in the final few minutes he was uh Swapped out onto the left with Vega coming off and onto the bench. Um, Lozano, of course, predominantly an inside forward. Um, lost that role at club level to Varascalia, of course, the Georgian. Regardless, it was Mexico, the one team, really, the more positive. is um, Gallardo did begin to attack down the left-hand side, but mainly Mexico's attacks were funneled. Down the right. Um, at times in the first half, Alexis Vega had to drift over to the right to be involved. Um, really, one of the more promising players for um, for the Mexicans. Meanwhile, Poland weren't particularly incisive on the counter. Um, Zalewski came off for Beak, um for a change of shape at halftime. Shame we didn't get to see more of uh, the young Roma player, but alas, there wasn't any imprint that he made on the game. Um, And that forced the change of shape more so to match Mexico, less so to, uh, there was no hybrid system at play Um, in the second half, it was mainly when they did press, um, which was very rarely, it was 4-4-2 off the ball, just basically shifted to a 4-4-1-1 with Zielinski dropping ever so slightly back, and um, when they attacked, Zielinski would move wide it'd be a 4-3-3 but really the second half more of the same from Poland in probably the most disappointing game of the lot especially when there was something there to attack there was three points up for grabs um, and really the penalty that Poland earned was borderline it was um, I was personally unconvinced and Guillermo Ochoa in uh, probably the best part of the game really saves the penalty his I guess World Cup law continues. He is just one of the best goalkeepers on planet Earth when it comes to World Cups. We all remember that dazzling performance in another nil-nil in the 2014 World Cup against Brazil. Didn't have to make too many saves here, but the one that he did make, really one of his only saves in the match from Lewandowski's penalty. Incredible. to be fair, it wasn't in the corner from the Barcelona man, but he was probably justice for the pattern of playing who was uh, the more positive team and for Robert Lewandowski, psychologically, will he ever score at a World Cup? They've got Saudi Arabia next. On paper, you'd say that's the best chance he's got. Um, Well, you'd say that he's probably um, not in the Poland team for the 2026 World Cup if they qualify. Um, So maybe with potentially two matches left of his World Cup career. You would say that, but... On paper, it's not played on paper. It's football as we were taught this morning. Um, Saudi Arabia do look a, a pretty decent prospect in defence. Maybe that will, uh, maybe that will change game to game with the uh, stakes um, rising. Who knows? Um, we'll have to wait. Certainly until Saturday for that one the penalty did fire the game up temporarily um i felt the uh mexican center forward starting center forward martin wasn't really too heavily involved he had a header saved just a glance in touch maybe if it was a bit closer in he could have troubled Chesney, but a simple stop for the goalish keeper um but yeah mainly the, the two danger men for mexico were on the uh on the flanks there, Vega and Lozano would have liked to see them switch things up a little bit. Maybe swap wings from time to time. Lozano definitely stayed more so on the right. Vega would drift here and there, but Lozano was predominantly on the right. and I think he's a bit more dangerous on the left where he can cut in to his uh, better right foot and score. Um, obviously, as we know from the previous World Cup when he sunk Germany, It felt really like a match that um, the importance was magnified by what had happened earlier on in the day with the Argentina defeat. It really ought to have been a game that could have transformed a battle for second into a battle for first here, but... uh, the importance the pressure perhaps um potentially told um and maybe the the amount of mexicans in attendance really forced poland's hand to sit deep treat it like an away game but you have the have the suspicions really that uh that is exactly what they were going to do all along and so argentina having picked themselves up off the canvas for saturday They've got here two teams who looked very uninspiring, two teams who couldn't find the net in a month of Sundays, it appeared, and the perfect result, a draw for them, and um, Argentina now two wins and they're through. So it won't be um, seemingly as tricky as it felt at 12 o'clock British time today after uh, after they were defeated, and this could be very easily a group that finishes with Argentina still on top Given um, if they managed to uh, overcome these two teams that uh, carried out this uh, woeful performance between themselves, and Saudi Arabia fold, but you you get the you get the um, instinct really that Saudi Arabia could become a, a bit of a handful for these two teams here if they don't book their ideas up, and going into the final game that left um, well after two nil nil two nil nil draws with France and Australia to come, the only thing that was pushing me forward was the curiosity about what France would do and if Australia could match the defensive panache of Poland and Saudi Arabia from earlier on in the day. And uh, we will detail that game in full after this short break. Welcome back. And the final game of match... Well, match day three in the 2022 World Cup brought us back... To the goals and how, as France destroyed Australia 4-1. Now the story going into the game, at least for France, was a lot, a lot of injuries. Pogba, Kante, Benzema, and that was just the uh, first team, many, many not involved. Rafa Varane as well, Christopher Nkunku as well. And um, by the 10th minute mark, you can add... Luca Hernandez to that one as well. France lined up in a 4-2-3-1 with Aurelien Tchouameni and Adrian Rabiot in the uh, double pivot there with Antoine Griezmann buzzing around in the number 10 position and Ousmane Dembele on the wing. So... Much change to the the three-at-the-back system, which France played throughout qualification and a little bit at the Euros too. And to be fair, much different to the 4-3-1-2 formation that they stuck with in winning the World Cup in 2018, where we saw the likes of Blaise Matuidi go out to the left and Kylian Mbappe play on the right with Griezmann Central. Meanwhile, for Australia, they wouldn't plunge the risk of uh, playing uh, Mabil or um, Heuristic, who was um, still injured carrying a knock hopefully he'll be back both of those guys will be back for the uh, Tunisia game but Harry Soutar did return after injury a long long term injury in uh, what was a well telegraphed 4-1 and it was France really who lacked a little bit of intensity to start things off. They did look to sit off Australia, let them work the ball. Um, and to be fair, Australia cut straight through them. It didn't seem to work. Harry Suta's long diagonals found um, Lecky on the right, who in turn... As we mentioned, uh, injured Luca Hernandez, unfortunately, uh, twists his knee. Doesn't look like he's going to be playing any more of this tournament, unfortunately. And um, that great control set up Goodwin for uh, an incredible finish. And the narrative as well, I think it's entered the mainstream as well by this stage. The World Cup curse. The uh, four of the five champions of the 21st century have all gone out at the subsequent tournament. France. They are included in that, of course, 2002, where they failed to score well. They did not fail to score here, did they, of course. Um, France, most of their attacks came down the left, as was to be expected with Kylian Mbappe. And now, Luka Hernandez's brother, Theo Hernandez, who is the uh, much more attacking left-back, probably more so left-wing-back there. And in the fact that Antoine Griezmann was dropping into central midfield, Chuameni was almost a half-back, they appeared to lack a lot of intensity. Essentially, sloppy in possession. he didn't seem to have much of a cutting edge going forward because the Australian backline was so compact. the The outer central midfielders and wide midfielders were tasked with doubling, tripling up on the uh, on the French wingers that were so pacey, Usman was Mandembele and killing Mbappe, and it was working. It was working. Um, Riley McGree was getting himself into pockets as well as the most advanced of the uh, midfield three for Australia Aaron Moy was covering absolutely everything most of the game was spent for Australia in this 4-1 4-1 formation they had a, a very good chance to go 2-0 up as well a long long range shot from uh, Mitchell Duke, I thought, was um, enough of a nuisance up top to cause France, well, not so, much, not so much problems, but ask a few questions of them, keep them switched on in the back line. The old Leipzig central defensive pairing of Ibrahima Kanate and Dio Upamecano there. But France, they would hit their groove inside 30 minutes. Dembele was soon running at his full-back, who was um unaided, Theo Hernandez as well, so to killing Mbappe. And with the likes of Adrian Rabio moving around, he would go centrally, he would go wide, Griezmann dropping deep, pulling on to the uh, the central striker there and Olivier Giroud, So to Mbappé was all over the place. It was only a matter of time, really, where um France's dominance paid and um essentially it it did. The uh, the goal came, the equalising goal came from uh, Neither the man-pressed in possession, which delivered a cross for an inch-perfect cross for Adrian Rabiot, um, and the defensive line couldn't jump out enough um, quick enough, as we saw earlier on in the day, thanks to uh, Saudi Arabia's stunning defensive display, it did look for the first 25-30 minutes we could have had a similar defensive display on our hands from Australia, but alas... Adrian Rabiot's equaliser popped a pin in that. A bit of a defensive collapse in the uh, in the defensive third led to 2-1. A poor touch out on the right led to Antoine Griezmann nipping in, stealing the ball a perfect touch from killing Mbappe. Set up Rabiot, who in turn gifted Olivier Giroud with a quite simple finish, which put him one behind record goalscorer for France, Thierry Henry. Um, and From then on in, Australia were reduced to rare forays. Jackson Irvine's header struck the post, or rather glanced against the post, and had that gone in, we may very well have had a a very different second half, but the second half was essentially over with two quick-fire goals just after the hour, killing Mbappe, finally taking his chance. He had a litany of chances, still caused problems throughout and probably was, probably was France's um, best player of the game, can also say Giroud as well for taking the two goals. Um, the assist for his goal from Mbappe was magnificent as well. Three minutes later to make it 4-1. Um, I thought Adrian Rabiot was quite good. Vilified for his potential transfer to Manchester United in the summer. I thought he covered himself in a lot of glory, carrying on. Some good form for Juventus in front of goal as well. And in terms of France, what we think of them now? Well, it was a pretty slow start to proceedings, but... Ultimately, you've got to say the, that's the, the type of performance of champions, really. Um, they, after the 15th minute, when uh, they sort of eased themselves into the game, cleared themselves of that sloppiness, they controlled most of it and they dictated when they were going to perform. They weren't pressed, they weren't harried. Yes, they were asked a couple of questions, but those fizzled out by the half time mark, by the hour mark, certainly. And come the end of the game, it will look back upon this as... Really a simple win, simple way to start the defence of your trophy. And we've not had a team defend the trophy since 1962. And Pelé, and you may remember Brazil there, they suffered the, the big injury of its time. Pelé missing out and several others stepped into the void. Maybe, maybe this France team are going to do the same amid a litany of injuries. Just maybe, although the recent history does tend towards a group stage exit. But with a victory here, you would like to think that that France will not join that illustrious club. Now, in previous times when the curse has been alive and well, Spain only won in 2014 in a dead rubber with Australia, funnily enough. Um, Germany won against Sweden just to keep their hopes alive. Uh, Meanwhile, Italy or France in 2002, Italy in 2010, They didn't record any wins. So it's good news for France. They may be breaking the curse, which is, of course, selective because Brazil in 2006 did fairly well to get to the quarterfinals after winning in 2002. But in terms of, well, we've seen 16 teams now. In terms of the front runners, the runners and riders, really the best teams we've seen so far are France. You've got to lump them in there as well. And England, of course. Whether or not their opponents have been the strongest... Remains to be seen, of course. We have only had one match day after all. I felt as though Australia were fairly workmanlike. They'll, they've will they got a spirit about them. They will be tough to beat for teams that aren't one of the best teams around, to put it bluntly. And uh, with Tunisia and Denmark to come, maybe they'll get some joy. You do have a feeling, though, that Denmark will have a little bit too much quality tactically and personnel-wise. Tunisia will have that backing of that incredible support. So it could be... It could be another World Cup. We are a win for Australia and that would uh, continue this 12-year run that they are on. After this short break, we'll be previewing the next games on match day four of the 2022 World Cup when we introduce three contenders to the stage: Germany, Spain, and Belgium. Stick with us. <laughs> Welcome back. So, match day four of the 2022 World Cup sees the introduction of Group E and F. So, we were supposed to have some clear answers from today and from the previous day. We don't seem to be getting anywhere with Group A or B or or C, certainly not, in terms of who's going to qualify, who are the favourites here. But in Group E from without... Any fixtures to uh, analyse? Germany and Spain appear to be the clearest 1-2, with Japan and Costa Rica sadly the third and fourth eliminated team there. We mentioned yesterday that uh, in Group C we should pretty much know who will be qualified by... (laughs) by tomorrow night that is very much not the case in group c has all floundered and saudi arabia have taken pole position and perhaps that is to be the fate of japan and costa rica and while saudi arabia and to be fair mexico as well had a vociferous support you'd probably say that uh, japanese support and costa rican support may be a little lacking german and spanish as well maybe as well um, now, obviously, the prospect of calling the first and second place in this group is almost impossible to call. The, the The group pretty much boils down. It appears to boil down to although I may be, I may be cursing this one as well. Um, it does seem to boil down to the following matchday between the uh, the German and Spanish teams and colliding in a uh, the match day the match of the group group stages really out of all eight groups. Now you've got to take. Uh, Take a side really. Spanish possession or German transition. Does the condi- do the conditions infer Spain a favourites for this group? Well, it appear- appears to have not affected too much football, really, in the in the past three days that we've witnessed. We've we've seen by this point eight games. We don't see many players being haggard by the conditions. And football is free-flowing. There doesn't seem to be an awful lot of respite in plenty of games, so that um, deficit could be uh, fairly narrowed. But a word for the underdogs, Costa Rica and 2014 says, hello, they did quite well in, in a group full of, uh, uh, well, easily the group of death, one of the deathliest groups of all time in the World Cup. And Japan have got plenty of players that can hurt Germany. Germany haven't played a knockout game in the World Cup since the 2014 final, of course, and didn't do too particularly well in the European Championships in 2020, did they now? We all know about that, English speakers. Um, But this is a new era, this is the Hansi Flick era, and he has got international tournament pedigree, was Love's assistant in that 2014 successful campaign in the World Cup. So it seems nailed on Germany and Spain. But today we've had plenty of shocks, a couple of uh, spooky moments along the way for France and Mexico as well, Um, Denmark as well, you've got to lump them in with that. So I'm going to predict, I'm not going to be less bullish in my predictions, I'm going to say it's all up in the air, (laughs) sit on the fence and certainly Group F as they say, anything can happen in that. We've got Morocco versus Croatia, we've got Belgium versus Canada as well. I feel as though Canada are a little bit unfortunate to draw Belgium first in the match in the group stages really because they could have um, been eased into it with a, um, well, an easier tie. But to be fair, given that Tunisia had an incredible amount of backing yesterday, um, you'd expect Morocco to attempt to to match that as well. Um, Belgium and Croatia, they are at very different ends of coping with their transition from their golden generation. Belgium lacking somewhat, Croatia have uh, taken to it quite well under like Zlatko-Dalic, so perhaps, in a, in a weird sort of way, Canada have um, been given a, quite a good opponent to start off with, and it could be a shock on seismic proportions, much like Argentina and Saudi Arabia was yesterday. Um, we, are, we, are, we know how, how savvy Croatia are, and I always tend to overrate Morocco, but with that factor of home, of what it would be home support for Morocco, you would expect, it could be, well, this could be anything. I'm not even going to attempt to try and predict anything. I think this coming into this World Cup, I thought this was the tightest group. I think it's got even tighter with several other factors at play. Um, I feel as though Canada will do something. They're not going to leave as they did in 1986. They will score. They may even get a win. I think they'll get a point, certainly. They're not going to leave with three defeats. And um, right from the start of this draw, this was the World Cup group. There's always one. There's always one. It usually involves a weaker seeded team, although Belgium are one of the stronger we- stronger seeded teams. But it feels as though this is all up for grabs. Anybody can land anywhere in this group. And really, I think we've got the four serious groups out of the way. Although maybe Group A was... Uh, a um, an outlier in that but we've got the serious groups out of the way the potentially obdurate groups out of the way I think it's time to have a little bit of fun in groups E, F and then tomorrow G and H as well I think that's where we'll uh, we'll glean quite a lot of the entertainment from these group stages and I hope you join us for it and uh, we'll be reviewing all of those games that we've just been discussing there and plenty more as the week continues Thank you very much for listening and until tomorrow, sitting the three lines.